John chapter 11, we see a dead man brought back to life after he's dead for four days. And there's an interesting and important phenomenon that happens when he's raised from death. He comes out in a certain way. And the way he comes out is going to show us our own lives, whether we're really free or we still are walking around with some shackles of sin. God comes to save us. The chains are broken. That's what being born again is. Let no one mistake being born again for joining a church, for getting baptized, going through a ritual, for making communion or confirmation or uh, infant baptism or uh, passing the catechism test, some creed of some denomination. A person can have all of that and even preach and still go to hell, not be born again. But a person who's born again, and that, that can be anyone, anywhere in the world, at any time. What happens is God cleanses us with his precious blood that he spilled when he was brutally murdered on the cross for my sins and your sins. That blood washes us. But you know what else happens? Not only the forgiveness of God, but the power of God comes in where I don't want to sin against God anymore. There are many people who say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of drinking. Ever heard people say that we're not born again? Sure. Why? Because, well, uh, my spouse and my children, they've had it. Because not only do I come home with this awful smell in my breath and my clothing, but the money, the pocketbook is being emptied routinely because of my desire for drink, alcohol. And it's really robbing my family. For a while it goes on, but then some people come to a stage where they say, you know, I can't be doing this. I feel a strong urge to satisfy my cravings, to get the alcohol. At the same time, there's a pull. There's another part of me that said, this is dumb. This doesn't make any sense because I'm not only not pleasant to my family when I walk in through that front door, but I'm robbing them. I'm spending money on this stuff when we could use it for something else. And when it comes to an extreme situation, I've heard of fathers who have known the need of their little ones for clothing or even a pair of shoes and have taken the money and squandered it on alcohol, letting the child go barefoot or without proper clothing. And when that person comes out of that intoxication, wants to just beat himself over the head for having done that again. There are people who cry and say, why do I keep doing this? Of course, there are a whole lot of people who say, I don't care about anybody else. I care about me. I want to do this and nobody can stop me. I don't care. If my family doesn't like it, I'm going to keep doing this. If they want to leave, let them leave, but I'm going to hug that bottle till I die. There are people like that. Isn't that true? 
Now you have that first class or first group of people who say, I'm tired of this, but I don't know how to get free. It seems the moment I pass the liquor store, it's calling me and somehow magically the car stops and my feet start carrying my body right to that shop and the wallet comes out and magically the guy takes the money from my wallet and I find myself next second in the car downing that bottle. I don't know how it happens. It just takes over. Well, that's partially true. Because there's a spirit of evil. There are demons that are unleashed that come to bind people's souls. And often it's through addiction. So you have a group of people who say, I'm aware that this stuff is killing me and my family. It's disrupting everything. I don't want anything to do with it. There's another group that says, I don't care what happens to me or what anybody thinks. Have you met people like that? They'll tell you to your face, I read my lips. I do not care. And often they'll use a whole bunch of colorful language that would make the average person blush, especially a Christian. But you see, they've gone beyond that feeling. Their consciences have been stabbed repeatedly so they don't feel anything anymore. But there's another group, thank God, there's another group of people who say, I want out. And I heard, I heard that there's a Jesus that can free me from these shackles. And I want to know how that works. Because I want that for my life and I mean business. There's a very important lesson or exhortation this afternoon here in our time zone before I get to the main sermon and main worship. And this has to do not only with people who are not born again, but for people who are born again and still walking around with a little shackle around one ankle, another chain around a wrist, and maybe a couple around the neck. Oh, they're out of prison but they're still in prison. How does that happen? Well, the person really gave his heart, her heart to the Lord, but they still have these problems with uh, these little sins, quote unquote. Um, they still have a problem occasionally with flirting and lusting and committing adultery. And, you know, you wouldn't find them uh, shacking up with people uh, who belong to somebody else. No, they're they're above that. They won't do such a thing. But they do have a problem with their eyes and their hearts. And the other one, uh, kick that drug, cold turkey maybe. A whole bunch of drugs. Needles out of the house, don't want to see it ever again. But occasionally likes to smoke the cigars and cigarettes. Hey, that's way better, isn't it? Than that other stuff. I'm not, I'm not a slave. Oh. Jesus says, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. That means one time if I pick up a cigarette and I take a drab of that thing, at that moment I have a shackle around my neck. That's what the Bible says. 
And we think that, you know, when I put that cigarette down, I no longer has a sh- I have the shackle. No, once it's on, the only way you know that it has, it has come off is when you don't touch the cigarette again. You see? Doesn't that make sense? Would you go to a prisoner and visit that prisoner in prison and tell them, you're free, you're free? For a while, they think that we're crazy. But then you convince them with a lot of fancy words. And they start shouting, I'm free, I'm free. And they're running all over the prison, I'm free. But they're in prison. Are they free? Well, if they get born again in the prison, they're going to be free. More than a person can ever feel by just coming out of the physical prison. We know that much for those who experience salvation truly. However, that prisoner to tell people I'm free and trying to convince them that I'm really physically not here would be ridiculous. You know, that analogy is exactly applicable to many Christians who still flirt with sin, even though they genuinely got born again. But they're really not free. And how does that happen? The story of Lazarus the Lord gave me this morning, who took me right to it and gave me a revelation, is going to explain that. And we're going to look at John chapter 11 briefly in conjunction with John chapter 8 and John chapter 15. The reason is, practically, you're going to understand if you really gave your heart to the Lord, why you feel the way you feel, still under bondage, even though you know that God has come into your heart at some point in your life, and you felt, you felt his goodness, you felt his love. You can never deny that, even though the devil would like to convince you to deny that. You, you can't be convinced because you know it happened. You know, it might have been a brief window, maybe a second, maybe a minute, but God touched you, something happened. You know there's a God. And you know that he touched you. You know that Jesus is Lord. But the life, the lifestyle, and the feeling of freedom is just not there. Why? Why? I used to have that question over 30 years ago when I used to search. I used to go all over the city when I lived in Brooklyn. I went to the Bronx. I went to Manhattan. I went to Nanuet, further up. I went to Queens, I went to Staten Island, I was on the bus, the train, in cars, I walked as a teenager. You know why? Because God really saved me, and he really healed me, set me free from a chronic illness that just devastated me. I couldn't do anything, couldn't breathe. But when this happened, I still, even though I was rejoicing and I loved God and I wanted to get closer to God. I couldn't understand for the life of me why I don't have freedom in certain areas. If Christ set me free, where's the discrepancy? What's happening here? Let's go to John chapter 11. We're going to find the answer, not only for you, but also for others through you who have a million questions about Christianity this and church that and the bishop that and the pastor this 
and the deacon this, and my uncle who went to church all day long and all week long, my aunt and myself going here and there. And I try to read the Bible and I put it down and I hear something on the radio and maybe my friend comes while he or she is drunk like a skunk in the middle of the night talking in garbled language about God of all people. Something within a human being that knows there's a God and even in a drunken state, I have heard people myself all of a sudden start talking about God. And especially when they start saying true things about God and God's love. You know what else I've heard drunken people say? I need God. While they're drunk, I need God. And maybe I should go to church tomorrow. How does that come out of a person's mouth who is so drunk? See, there's a spirit within every human being. There's a conscience. And sometimes it cuts through the foolishness and the truth comes out. But when we're sober, we have a real opportunity to say, Lord, I'm sick and tired of getting on that merry-go-round that a lot of church people do, where they pretend hallelujah and amen and uh, God sure is good. You can say that again. And uh, they know the lingo. They know how to uh, have the comeback line. You know, don't think that I'm not a Christian, that I don't know God. I know God. And you know what? That guy sleeping by the gutter, Drinking himself blind or shooting his veins up. Uh, he really needs God more than me. Look at me. I have nice clothing. I got me a job. Um, I'm sober. No, that guy needs God a lot more than me. It's not true. The truth is we all need God as much as the next person. Because we all are sinners. Before we come to the cross. That line is something that will just send a lot of pastors and even Christians either run away or run to you to try to choke you. You know why? Because all of a sudden, it sounds like when you get born again, you don't sin. What are you talking about? Everybody sins. What we're talking about biblically is you don't sin presumptuously. That means deliberately, intentionally go and put your hand to that sewer by the side of the road. Who would do that? Can you convince your neighbor or your friend or your brother, sister, your spouse, your baby? Oh, why don't you go in? You see that sewer over there? It's filthy. It's stinking. And all the, the dirt goes there, gets washed into there. Would you mind going and putting your hand in there? It'll be fun. Let's go. Who would do that in his or her right mind? Well, that's what God says when we get born again. Once he's made us clean, it's preposterous and unthinkable that somebody would go and get themselves back into the mess again because they don't belong there. The identity of Lazarus inside the grave after being dead four days 
changed physically. He loved Jesus. He had two sisters named Mary and Martha. They loved Jesus. Jesus spent time with them in their house. Imagine how much Jesus loved them. They were very tight with Jesus when he walked the face of the earth. He always stopped there whenever he got the chance. How'd you like that? Have the Son of God come to your house every time he passes by your way. What a glorious experience. Well, he loved Jesus. So what changed about him when he died? Not that part. But physically, the man was gone. His life wasn't there. No use to anybody. But physically, Jesus did something when he stood outside that tomb that day. And that's going to show us what happens to a Christian when once God has set us free or set you free, set me free from the prison of sin. How we come out there should be zero shackles and chains on us. John chapter 1. I'd like to give you an opportunity as we participate together because it's not a one-man show or a one-woman show. It's not a show. We're coming together in the presence of Almighty God and we're all here to hear God's word and to grow, not just mentally, intellectually, but we want something from God to touch our souls today, to change us even more. John chapter 11. I'd like someone to read, please. Let's pay close attention because this is where it's at. If we miss God's word, we could be having a great time today doing a lot of things, even entertain one another. We would have missed the spiritual food that we so desperately need. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Somebody please read that. And let's pay close attention. Praise God. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Mike, for reading that. Now, sometimes we read these words and we may have to pause and try to figure out what is he saying about night and light. We can go back to that later. You can read that on your own and um, I'm sure God will speak to you or you can... Ask another brother, sister, or even ask us, pastors, what does this verse mean? But right now we're concentrating on what happened to Lazarus so that we can learn about what happens to a Christian 
and what can happen to a Christian, what God expects. Let's continue from verse 11, John 11. Someone please read 11 to 16. And NKJV version, verses 9 to 16. Uh, 11 to 16. Verses 11 to 16. Praise God, Pastor. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Somebody else please read from 17 to 27. 17 to 27. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who's that? Who's this? Emma. Emma. Praise God, Emma. Like to read? Go ahead. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the light. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Amen. Praise God, Emma. Praise God, Prashant is able to read his portion. Um, what is the Lord saying here? He's basically asking here, do you really believe I am who I say I am? And do you understand further? that death cannot stand in my presence. When I want to set somebody free, nothing can stop me. And even the case of your brother, now they were weeping, Mary and Martha. They loved their brother. They missed their brother. And they knew Jesus loved their brother, but they couldn't understand why was there a delay for Jesus to come on the scene. So it is for loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord. We miss them. There's a delay. There's a time gap before we see them again. If they live in Christ and they die in Christ, Jesus is saying they're going to live again. And so will we. 
Let's continue here, verse 28, uh, down to 37, please. Someone else? Praise God, Pastor. Praise God. John 11, verse uh, 28 to 37, NLT version. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the morning and and told her, the teacher is here and wanted to, and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other's people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Could he have kept Lazarus from dying? Praise God. Amen. Could, could not he have kept Lazarus from dying too? If he opened the eyes of the blind, he had compassion and he had the power. Why didn't he just keep the man from dying? Before that, you see this verse that we just heard read, that he was angry. What could he have been angry about? Couldn't have been the sisters, Mary and Martha. He loved them and he talked to them. He explained to them that I'm the resurrection and the life. He wouldn't be angry at them. It couldn't be the crowd. They were crying in support of the sisters who had lost their brother. What was he angry about? wasn't his disciples. They're not mentioned here. He was angry at death. He was angry at the punishment that death brings. The sting. The weeping. The helplessness. He had his indignation. It says... In another version, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he's not angry at the people who are weeping, but he's angry at the cause of their weeping. Who could ever say that God doesn't care? Only ignorant people. You have another part. And we'll see that Jesus wept. He literally cried. Not only was he troubled. No wonder it says in the book of Hebrews that when we suffer anything, any kind of trial, even temptations, that he's touched with the feeling that comes along with being tested. He's touched with his knowledge of our weaknesses. He's not a God who takes that gavel and rams it down 
And it says, that's it. You messed up and don't come to me anymore. Get out of my face like people do too often. God gives everyone a long, long rope. He has the greatest patience, but it's the devil, the deceptive devil that comes and tells people, God doesn't like you. God doesn't love you. You blew it too many times. So don't even bother trying to get near him. Listen, why don't you just skip all of that and do what you want to do? Because God doesn't want you anyway. The devil's a liar. Right here, we see in this verse that he was touched. He, he was touched. He was angry at whatever was making his children weep. Isn't that a good parent? When a child is troubled and crying, they're hurting. What parent would be happy? And how come we make God out to be like that? How can we ever believe the devil's lie that God's like that? When even a human parent normally won't be like that. See the child suffering and go and laugh at the child and make faces and no. And God is the best parent. He's more loving than anyone else. That's the truth. He felt. God feels. God feels deeply when we go through trouble. He said, where have you laid him? He's deeply moved inside. He says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. This other verse, Jesus wept. It said that this is the shortest verse in the whole Bible. When you're in trouble, when you feel far from God, when you feel that nobody cares and nobody wants to know who I am, where I am, what I'm doing. I feel all alone. I feel maybe it's not worth it to continue. If you forget everything else, remember John 11.35. Just two words, put it into your memory. Because guarantee the devil will try every one of us. There's not one of us that he won't try with this master trick that he has. At some point in our lives, which is, God don't care about you. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't want to know your address. He's busy with the good people. Look at you. You know you're not right with God. And you never will be. Remember, shut up, devil. In Jesus' name, God said that Jesus wept. And I know why he wept when I heard this sermon on January 30th, 2022. He wept because he cared. He felt the pain of the people. And if Jesus can feel the pain of the people over one person that died, which was a thing that happened normally, but he couldn't stand to see people crying and they were not even related to him. I know he cares about me. Because he's revealed himself to me at one point in my life. Jesus cares. That truth can cause a person to turn about face and come back home to the Lord. The last part we want to look at here, we're not reading the whole chapter, is from verse 38 to 44. Someone please read that. 
Let's start with Joshua. Praise the Lord. John 11:38 to 44, New King James Version. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "Take away the stone." Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, "Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days." Jesus said to her, "Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God?" Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe that you sent me." Now, when he had Said these things, he cried with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come forth!" And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Loose him and let him go." Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the section we want to focus on, but we needed a background of what's happening here; otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. We want to hear this again. Someone else read the same passage. Let's let this word go deep into our hearts, because the truth that God wants to convey today comes from this and from the other scriptures I had mentioned. We need to hear it again. Someone else, please read thirty-eight to forty-four. Praise the Lord. 38-44, John chapter 11. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by the time there is a, a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe." That you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come forth!" And he who had died came out, bound hand and feet with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Loose him and let him go." Amen. Praise God. Lazarus was dead, and he was in this tomb, this cave. Now the people could take away the stone, but they can't take away death. Jesus did that. Jesus raised the man who the scriptures say was a dead man. He wasn't a man. He wasn't a man who fainted. A man who was in a coma, 
he was dead in that too for four days. The sister's question was basically what kept you, Jesus? If you had been here when my brother was sick, he wouldn't have died. How come you didn't come? How come we sent for you and you stayed where you were for another couple of days? If only you would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. If only you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know you can do something. She had a level of faith there. She didn't give up because all she could see is death. All she could see is failure. It's gone. It's hopeless now in the natural. But when Jesus showed up, her eyes shifted from the situation with all these human beings, including herself, who were powerless to do anything about the situation. Jesus showed up and Martha shifted her gaze to God. And so she was able to say, I'm torn up inside, Lord. This happened because you didn't come earlier. It could have been prevented, but my eyes are on you. I know that even now you can do something. That's the level of faith that we need to have. It comes with feeding on God's word, believing his promises, being connected to him continually. It doesn't come automatically. Then that faith grows and we can know that even in the most adverse situations, God can do a miracle. I'm not just going to mouth it off and say it from the top of my head, but I know in my heart because I've seen it happen. So that's the kind of faith that Martha had. She had heard or even seen with her own eyes people who were blind and lame. I mean, miracles that no one had ever done. And she knew because Jesus spent time at her house. Imagine what kind of house she must have had. You think the house was decked out with a lot of fancy stuff? Most likely not. But that house had three people living in it. Could have been a very small house, as was typical in those days. That house was filled with three people. A brother and two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Whose hearts were well furnished to receive Jesus anytime he came. That house was a rich house because God was worshipped there for real. And so when God came, it was very easy for them to open the door. They didn't have to run and hide this and hide that and oh, I don't want to see this. Put it under the rug quick. God's coming. No. The moment they heard ding, ding, is Jesus. You can be sure all three of them went immediately, opened the door. And the Lord had a big smile, I'm sure. He loved them. He knew this is the house where these people are really following me. They love me. They had a strong connection. Because of that, 
she was able to say, even now, God, everything's lost, but because you showed up, something can happen. Hallelujah. The Lord is taking what she's believing, and we're going to relate this to the Christian life, and he's adding something. He's adding something. He's giving a further revelation that she never had before. She was close with Jesus, but she's going to get even closer. The whole family. He said, your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I know it's going to happen. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus said to her, I'm talking about now. I am the resurrection. You're talking about the resurrection as an event. What is resurrection? It's raising from the dead. It's reviving something from the dead. Taking up something from the dead. And there's an event that God prophesies will happen at the end of time. Where every dead body, whether in the Bible specific, whether on earth or in the water, people who died in the sea. God says there's not one dead human being that's scattered anywhere on the face of the earth, earth, disintegrated from decay. There's not one soul that ever had a body, and every human being has a body, has that soul. There's not one of them since the time of Adam from about 4,000 B.C. down to our present day until Jesus comes, some six or 7,000 years, the time span that humanity would have been on the earth, not one body that has died will fail to respond when I say, get up. Every dead body will rise. There's an event called the resurrection that's going to happen. Everybody's going to come out of the grave. But we know what Jesus says. I am the Lord of the resurrection. I'm not talking about future. The one who's responsible to call the dead back to life later is right here before you. I can do it now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What is he talking about? The first part, he's talking about physical death will no longer be a barrier. And anybody's experience who puts their trust in me to living again. And those who really believe me and they live in me spiritually, they'll never die spiritually. Very powerful in two verses what the Lord communicated. He says, death is real. Death is sad and it makes me angry because sin caused death. Not Lazarus' sin, but the sin of Adam and Eve and that sin stream, if you will, that comes to every human being, regardless of race, color, creed, socioeconomic status. All human beings are tainted with this sin disease. And only Jesus can cure it. And because of the sin disease, 
physically, because we're housed in physical bodies, it'll play itself out where we'll die. Except for a very select few, such as Elijah, such as Enoch in the Old Testament, where they just disappeared. Bodily, God just took them. But there's explanation for that. Some believe there'll be the two witnesses that come back later. Some believe that. God has his reasons for doing whatever he'd like to do, and he's never wrong. But on the whole, it's written clearly. Humanity suffers from this physical phenomenon called death. So Jesus is not denying death here. He's saying it's real, it's there, I've seen it, and I hate it. Thank God. We have a God who loves life. He's not into death culture like we see all over the place. People like to hurt themselves and hurt others. They like to see movies with blood and gore. It's a satanically shackled society. To the point where when they hear people die, it doesn't even affect them anymore. They don't feel anything. Become a monster. God's not like that, praise God. He's tenderhearted. He said, death is real. But let me tell you, the one who believes in me, even though they have to physically die, I'm going to raise them up. And the one who lives physically and has received me into his heart or her heart will never die spiritually. That's clear from the scriptures here. Because he didn't say nobody's ever going to die physically. He said, no, it happens. Because it's a result of sin in humanity as a whole. But even the people who die physically because they're under that curse that can't be avoided when it comes to the body. At some point, we have to pass through that curtain. But like the Apostle Paul said, we don't have to fear it at all because we have Jesus in our hearts. It'll be just like sleeping. And that's why the Lord told them. We read that here. Our friend, Lazarus is sleeping. That's exactly how death is for the believer. It's as if they're sleeping because the next second they open their eyes when they die, they're right in the presence of God Almighty. Full of joy and vitality and life beyond their wildest imagination. That's the truth. So this Lord of Resurrection says, I'm here now. I'm here. And notice, he went there after he asked them, where have you laid him? And then he wept. He told them to take away the stone. I want you to bring this person to the church service. You can do that, can't you? You can call them. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. You do what you can do. And I'll do what only I can do. Hallelujah. They did that. 
Martha was just a little bit afraid in verse 39 that it's going to be an awful odor of God. Oh Lord, my brother's been dead for four days. It's going to be horrible when you, if you think you're going to go near it, Lord, when they move away the stone. Jesus wasn't worried about that. He said, listen, I just told you to believe in me. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the barriers. Don't worry about feelings. Go by faith. Hallelujah. I told you something. Stick with it. Didn't I tell you? That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. We have to bring ourselves to that point. That Jesus said this. And that's all I know. That's all I want to know. I don't want to know anything else. Because his word is life. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But for the benefit of the people who are standing by, they need to know how this works. This power is coming from heaven. That they may believe that you sent me. You see, he was going around doing miracles, but there are people who still didn't really believe or understand who he was. Isn't that the case today also, sadly? After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead triumphantly, there's still a whole bunch of people who go around saying, well, I think that Jesus is this. I think he's a great teacher, and I think he's a good man. I think that we can incorporate Jesus into our religion. In fact, he's one of our favorites. One of our favorites. They failed to understand who he was, and who he is, and who he forever will be. Jesus is God, period. Until we really get that into our thinking and hearts, we'll always be doubting Jesus and thinking about, well, maybe I have to go to plan B. Let me try Buddha. Let me try Muhammad. Let me try a whole bunch of other people. Uh, the Hindu religion, New Age. Let me try levitating and gravitating and maybe even smoking this. Maybe I can get far away. I can travel the world. Maybe I need to just be non-materialistic. I'm going to sell everything I've got. And I'm going to take a one-way ticket to the Himalayas and find me a guru where I can sit at his feet with his long flowing hair and beard, and he's going to say some mantra, and I'm going to be on a trip. Maybe that's the ticket. No, 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 no. Maybe I need to smoke a little more. Maybe I need to make all the money I can, follow the God that lusts for wealth and comfort and pleasure. The moment we realize that Jesus Christ is the living God who became flesh. We can know. Well, the definition of God, just about everybody would agree, is that he's able to do what we cannot do because he's in control. So I can entrust my soul, my life, everything to his hands because this God, Jesus Christ, really loves me. 
Oh, what a difference. Who cares if somebody has all the power in the universe? They don't love me. I'm just a number. I'm just one of that lump of humanity, right? I'm just one tiny piece of a mass that he says, here, I made humanity. Now sit there. You do what you got to do. I'm winding up the clock. And at a certain point, it's all over. I'm going to take you as a lump and deposit you here because that's the next part of my whim, my desire, what I feel like doing. No, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. And therefore, I can have faith. That's what he's trying to convey to the sister here. I told you, I love you. I love your brother. I love everybody. If you only believe, anyone that believes. He didn't say what color. He didn't say just the Israelites. He says anybody, anywhere, because I made them all. I want all of them to be my children. Red and yellow. Black, brown, white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. It's true. We're his children in the sense that we all came from him. He made us all in our mother's belly. But we can only become spiritual children that live forever with him when we get born again. Lazarus was born again. He stays outside the tomb, Jesus does, and he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who was dead for four days, he heard that voice. He couldn't resist it. I mean, he's in a dead state. How does it work? I don't know anything further, except that the dead heard the Son of God. The man couldn't stay dead. Something happened to death. Death just disappeared. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. That's the way they buried the people back then. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. You know the function of a real man of God, a real woman of God? Is to hear this from Jesus Christ. Tell the believers. You don't need to have the grave clothes on you. What are you doing with them? Take it off. Let it go. And the word that's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will enable believers who are walking around defeated. But they came out of the tomb. They came out of the cave. They're out of the prison. But they're bound with the grave clothes. How is that possible? Because they're not letting it go. You see? A person's locked up in prison. And they have restrictions placed on them. Which is another level of lockup. You do what we tell you to when we tell you. And this is how much you get. In this or that or the other thing. Your whole life is controlled. We're in control of your life. But then. The cuffs come off. Then the prison doors opened. And they're literally outside of that federal or state or county jail. And they can hardly believe it. Uh, 
I was in there day and night, someone can say, for 33 years. I don't even know what, what this feels like. I know I'm here, but I'm, I'm trying to process this. I'm looking to the right. I'm looking to the left. I don't see any other prisoner around. Uh, I see a bus over there. I, I can walk where I want to. I can, I can do whatever I want, but you know what? If the man is psychologically and emotionally bound to the prison mentality, wouldn't you agree that he's still in prison in a real way? In a very real way? That he's frozen, standing outside of prison. The Christian who has surrendered to the Lord Jesus has been set free from the prison of sin. But the person can still walk around with the prison clothing. They don't understand the identity and the power that comes with it. That just like a, a warden in a jail or a loved one or an attorney that has um, had something to do with that emancipation, the liberation of that prisoner. You think that they would think the prisoner would be all elated, jumping for joy and get right to whatever they want to do that they couldn't do when they're in prison. And hopefully a good thing. Let's assume for argument's sake, they want to get their life back together and they want to go and whatever they need to do to make that happen. They're just eager. But you find the guy or the gal right outside the prison door, total freedom, legally. His or her own man or woman now. Nobody can bind that person. But they're frozen. Where? A few feet from the prison door, from the steps of that jail. Frozen. The warden comes around. The loved ones come around. The attorney comes around. Maybe the judge pulls up and says, what's wrong with you? What, what are you doing? You're free. Can you imagine a judge go up the steps and look at that man or woman and say, read my lips. I gave the verdict yesterday. You're free. Now go on. Get out of here. You're blocking the door. The person's frozen. They're dumbfounded. They have the grave clothes on. Can you do anything when you have the grave clothes binding you? If God set us free from prison, then we're free indeed. But I want to take you quickly to John 8, 32. Then we're going to look at John 15 to understand what a particular word means in John 8, which is going to be very important to set some of you free today. It's the job of a real servant of God to let you know your rights. If you have surrendered to Jesus, you're out of prison. Do not walk around like a prisoner. You don't have to. You're not meant to. Nothing has a hold on you. If it does, you're still in prison. It's a contradiction to say, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I have Jesus. But I'm serving the devil because I'm doing something the Lord doesn't like. John 8.32. Would somebody please read that? John 8.32. John 8.32 NKJV And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Praise God. 
Praise God. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's a statement that Christians would have heard many times. And it can sound cliche. And we may not understand the significance because we've heard it used so many times and maybe we're dull of understanding what it means till the Spirit of God quickens our understanding. Who can ever make that claim? I am the way. Not one of many ways. I am the way. There's no other way beside me. I am the truth and the life. Now, if I know the truth about Jesus, which is really the truth in Jesus, knowing Jesus, Jesus will make me free. That's wonderful. Imagine telling people in your family who you know, they're bound by Satan. They're not going to heaven. They're not going to heaven unless they repent and turn away from sin like you did, perhaps. And you tell them, all you got to do is come to Jesus and he'll radically change your life. He'll set you free. And the person says, I don't think it's going to work for me because I've been doing what I'm doing for a long time. I don't even feel like giving it up, tell you the truth. You can show me the way out. But I don't think I want it. No, thank you. I'm, I'm happy. Don't try to make me feel miserable because I'm not a Christian. Because I'm living it up. I got everything I want and I'm happy. All the food I like to eat. All the drugs I like to do. All the immoral pleasure, whether through my eyes or with my body. I've got it all. And I'm still kicking. I'm still alive. I'm still doing what I have to do. And I have a whole bunch of people around me who love me. They think the world of me. I have my society. I don't need to come over to that group, your Christian group. Because quite frankly, I don't think I need Jesus. Now we know that person is in such bondage that the devil is actually telling them moment by moment all his lies and they have just trained themselves to believe it's them speaking to themselves when it's really the, the Satan, this devil. Without Jesus, we have no life. Now, you tell that person, you don't understand. We all sin. And Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. And maybe by conviction from the Holy Spirit, they start to see, you know what? I've been lying to myself. I thought I was happy, but I can really see now. No matter how much I drink, I'm never happy. I got to go do it again. Uh, no matter how much pleasure I get, and there is pleasure. The Bible even says that. It doesn't say that sin is not without pleasure. There is. But it's deadly. And therefore, ultimately, it's no pleasure. But there is a good pleasure, a righteous pleasure that satisfies deeply because it's within God's bounds. And that'll just take us straight from this life to heaven in a pure life, pure love. That person's eyes may start to open. You know what? The people I thought loved me, the moment the money runs out, I see that they're not so friendly. They don't want to really know me. 
the moment I end up in the hospital and I can't be where they want me to be and do what they want me to do, when they want me to do, all of a sudden I'm getting uh, less frequent phone calls and I'm not part of the group. I thought you were my friend. Imagine someone saying the truth. I was when you had money. Now that you don't have it, you got to find you somebody else. I'm going to someone else who has money. I thought you're my friend. You made me feel good. Well, now that you can't make me feel good, you're stuck in some hospital for 30 days. I don't have time for you. I'll pray for you, but uh, see you later. Sometimes it's when we hit rock bottom that the truth of God's word really hits home and we start to see the foolishness that we've been saying to ourselves from the devil, thanks to the devil, and the lies that most people believe. Okay, so you should know the truth, the truth about life, the truth about human nature, the truth about heaven and hell. All of a sudden, all this is coming down. You say, yes, you know what? I'm starting to believe this. I believe this. I can see now why Jesus is different than other gods and other teachers. I, I can see everything it did was love and holiness and power. I mean, it's nobody like him. And he died for my sins. And I want to receive him into my heart. And they take that step to receive the Lord into their hearts. And what happens? They can genuinely get born again. They get born again. And they feel this freedom. They feel this new life. And everything's changed. And all of a sudden they want to read the Bible. Where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit working in them. And they start reading for a while. And they start going to church. And they start hanging out with people who turn their lives around through Jesus Christ. And they have this kind of joy. It's different. It's different. There's no uh, need to try to show off or uh, be selfish. And it's something pure. It's a harmony. And, and yet you may see that same person who genuinely came to the foot of the cross of Jesus and bowed their heads and said, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm tired of trying to run my life. It's a mess. It'll always be a mess without you, Lord. You owned me twice. You created me. And you died for me to redeem me back. I'm all yours, Lord. I want you. They did that. They got really born again. Truly born again. But then after some time, that joy gets robbed and you find them back where? Fussing and fighting. Name calling. Cursing. Smoking. Drinking. Being found in places that a Christian shouldn't be in. Why? Why should the Christian not be in certain places? Because the church said so? No. Because some other Christian said so? No. It's like the dead man was all wrapped up like a mummy. Once he came to life, he's not supposed to have the dead man's clothing, right? That's why the grave clothes don't belong on Lazarus anymore. He's no longer dead. 
And that's why a Christian cannot be in certain places, not because there's some external rules nailed on, onto some wall that, oh, I'm supposed to do this and not that. I'm, I'm bound by these rules and I'm always checking. No, it's natural because supernaturally I've been born again. And I know this stuff is not for me. I used to think it was me, but I can see there was something that was put on me, shackles from Satan. It doesn't belong on me. I'm new. I'm brand new. So what do you say to that person when you go back to them and say, don't you remember what John 8.32 says, Christian? You should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How come you're not free? But I am free. I did kneel down and receive Jesus. And I did have a genuine experience. I can never doubt that or question that. It really happened. Now, why are you lying again? If you lie, are you really free? But I got born. I'm not talking about what happened to you back then. Are you experiencing what happened to you back then now? Before John 32, Jesus says this in John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, notice, these are people who really believed him. That's just the first step. It's a big step. And that causes that lock to come off that prison cell. Believe him, you're free. Right? Jesus speaks to the dead man. He's alive. Look at what Jesus says here. If you continue in my word or abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed or truly. In other words, you come in to become my children. But my children are designed to be disciples who follow me. Then comes John 8.32. You'll experience the freedom you're meant to experience. This explains why Christians... People who get born again, all kinds of people, they could have been a gangster. They could have been a Wall Street thief. They could have been your average housewife or worker or child or student. Anyone and everyone. God doesn't discriminate. He sees everybody shackled by the same singular shackle called S-I-N, sin, which has many symptoms or branches called sins. When a person smokes and they damage their body and damages other people's bodies, damage other people's bodies through secondhand smoke and all the stuff that goes with it, killing them, especially little ones, horrible crime. But they're being led by another spirit, you see. And they can actually get to a point where they can't help it. And it's true, they're bound, except they can hear the voice of the Son of God when he says, I want you to live. All of a sudden, the desire goes. A miracle happens. I don't want to smoke anymore. I don't want to go dancing and waste my life away and meet strangers and try to find happiness and get diseases and destruction and a whole mess. Ever on the run, running scared on the inside for myself because I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I want when I really think about it. I'm trying different things. Looking for love in all the wrong places, but I can't seem to settle on anything. So it's a roller coaster ride and I'll keep riding until the ride stops. Except the truth is 
the ride doesn't stop. It descends into a eternal roller coaster in hell with the screaming, weeping, gnashing of teeth, decay, and burning. Person says, I know God rescued me from that stuff. So why is the person that claims to be a Christian still bound by certain sins? The answer is in John 8.31. The two words that are usually used in the various Bible versions. Let me read it to you in one of them. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And, notice that word and, the conjunction connects these two ideas. Too often and sadly, people take John 8.32. This is the danger when we take verses and we like to get favorite verses and highlight them. We don't read what comes before them or after them. And we can actually be dead wrong. We need to know the whole counsel of God. Didn't he make it available? This love letter from heaven? We have a copy of it. We have multiple copies of it, most of us. We have access to it. Through the internet, endless number of copies. Once we read it for what it is, very diligently, we're going to know exactly what God thinks about anything, any given situation. What he says about us, how to get free, how to feel his presence, how to know him, how to have the sense of peace that this world cannot give. No matter how much money one makes, can't give security. No matter how many friends we make, what kind of network we establish, no peace. No matter how many times you work out and try to extend and prolong your life on earth, death is reality. You can't avoid it. Everything seems to be a game, a big game. Well, that's the way it is, some people say. So I'm going to make the best of it and live it up while I can because one day I'll be dead as a dog. Like it says in Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writing. You should know the truth. and The truth should make you free. Knowing the truth and really being free demands that I continue in God's word. Because God opened the prison door that no one can open except him. Brought me out of the bondage of sin and Satan. And shame washed all my sins away. In an instant, he justified a criminal. That's all of us. We're sinners. We're guilty. He's the judge. He's the advocate. And he's the substitute at the same time. In other words, he hits the gavel and he says, guilty. And then you find the Lord as an advocate saying, but there's a pardon waiting. And then you find the Lord doing what? Taking the shackles on himself, going to prison, dying, giving his life for us. What kind of freedom is that? What kind of God is this? He's so personal. He's so loving. He's so real. And the person is brought out of prison, but like Lazarus, until the grave clothing comes off, they're still acting like a dead man. This is the problem. There are people who've been set free from sin, but they're still entertaining sin. You know why? Because the word has not been formed inside of them and they're weak. They don't know their full identity. They don't know the power they have. They don't know how much power is within them, their spirits, through the Holy Spirit. 
We're going to conclude with this. So John 8.31 says, if you continue, another word is abide. It means to live, remain. So the secret to living an overcoming life as a believer and really shining the truth of Jesus everywhere so people would want to be set free too. Not being a cowardly professor of Christ saying, I know Jesus lives, I believe everywhere in the Bible. I kiss my Bible every day and I know I've been born again. Uh, but I do like to be bitter and jealous. And I like to say a few nasty words here and there. Uh, but I'm born again. That's a contradiction. That's the dead man, effectively. A man who's been given life but wearing the grave clothing, acting like a dead man. A dead woman. It's the smell of death. Cursing and slandering and bitterness. Lying and stealing. Being proud. Trying to look good. Have an image. Being immoral, being violent, being hateful, being prejudiced. All of these things are called the works of the flesh. The old nature that Jesus said, he has put it to death. Now you have to put it to death in your life. He has canceled the power of that stuff. But you need to know, you got to take the grave clothing off. The only way you can do this, to leave the works of the flesh and truly walk like Jesus in the spirit is if you continue in His Word, abide in His Word. John 15 is the last place we're going to look at, which is very pertinent, very relevant to this. John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, like a, a true tree, and my Father is the vine dresser. He takes care of all the branches. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit what does he do? He takes away. That means they started good. They're in him. Born again. But if they don't stick with him, if they don't bear fruit, then they're going to fall off. And he's going to make sure that happens. We may say, well, I don't like to hear this. What happened to God's love? We understand God is love, but he's holy. And he expects us to be grateful for what he's done and enjoy it. You buy a bicycle for your kid and says, look, Mom and dad, or mom or dad, um, we saved up, and I know you had your eye and your imagination fixed on this particular bicycle. I'm looking at 70, 80, 90, 150 dollars. You're looking at 2,000 dollar bike. But because you really want it, and because you really like to bicycle, something constructive, healthy, I've been saving up. You didn't know that for nine months, just like when I had you in my belly, the mother may say. I've been saving up, working a little extra here and there, and I came up with $2,000. Do you understand? I got you that bike that you wanted. You know what, where you find that bike? In the garage. Days and weeks and months and years. How do you think that mother would feel? Why did I ever buy you this bike anyway? It's no use. Can we find fault with God? If he says, I gave my blood for you. It's not just buying something, giving some money or working hard. I died for you. What's the use if you're still in sin? In the same John 8.32, we don't have to turn there. But further down the chapter, he says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I died to set you free. What are you doing? 
smoking and drinking and womanizing and doing all that stuff. That stuff doesn't belong to you. You're different. My life has gone in. That stuff has to do with death. What are you doing with the great clothing on? The answer is, Lord, I haven't been continuing in your world. No wonder I've gotten weak. And those things became attractive again. Gambling with my soul and with my money and property and my body. All of a sudden, it seems to be fun and thrilling. As soon as I get a phone call, do you want to go out tonight? Yes, count me in. I'll be ready in five minutes. Why? The thrill of going out into the darkness to try to get some kind of pleasure or bait somebody into some kind of sin. What a way to live. That's death. Why do people do that repeatedly? They're under the spell of Satan because he's looking to take them to hell. And he'll keep them on the ride until that one moment comes when he says game over. And then he'll go to the next statistic. God have mercy. If Jesus has come into your heart, if you've tasted his love, you have no business wearing the grave clothing. That word abide in the Greek, it says meno or meno, M-E-N-O. Very simple. Four letter word. It means to continue or live. Notice verse five. I am the vine, John 15, five. You are the branches. He who lives in me or continues in me and I in him. We have an ongoing fellowship. Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How do I live the Christian life? How do I overcome temptation? How do I get this freedom that God has given me but I'm not able to enjoy because I keep getting this great clothing on me or I've never taken it off, really. I'm walking around. People think I'm a dead man. They can smell it. They can see it. Because I'm acting like it. But I'm supposed to have the fragrance of Christ and the newness of life that they're going to be attracted and said, how do you, how did you stop smoking? How did you stop committing adultery and fornication? How did you stop gambling? How did you stop living for money? How are you different? Well, I gave my heart to Jesus one day. I said, enough is enough. My eyes are open, Lord, and I don't want this anymore. I want the real life. And Jesus came in. He set me free. And after that, you know what I did? So that I don't go around with grave clothes, saying that I'm alive, and people can see that I look like a dead man. I began to be serious about following Jesus, being a real disciple. And the truth that I kept learning, it kept coming into me. It was like a constant stream washing me, washing me, washing me so I'd never get dirty again. It was like the surge of power that kept filling me and filling me and filling me, helped me to defeat the temptation every time. What I did, the secret was, I continued in God's word. I made it a priority. I began to live in fellowship with him. And that's why you see the fruit. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Nothing has a hold on me except the love of Jesus. Lazarus was set free. A, a person in the prison of sin, the doors wide open because they received Jesus. Free to walk outside. Too many people, they give a bad rep 
bad name for the Lord of glory and Lord of love, Lord of all power. They act like they're still bound to death. They step outside the prison. They have the grave clothing on. The prison clothing on. Because they haven't bothered to continue in God's truth. They haven't told themselves, you know, now that God set me free, I'm going to make something in my life for his glory. And that begins with me getting into his word continually. It's going to keep giving me that surge of electricity. It's going to burn up every evil thing that the devil brings. And day to day, I'm going to be growing. It's going to be that pure stream of water that keeps washing me. And I know I'm born again. And my mannerisms change from the inside out. It's not cleaning myself up by being nice and Christian. By smiling and saying, God bless you. No, I really mean it from my heart. I really forgave my enemies. I never thought I could do these things, but God has caused to happen. You know why? Because I became his disciple. Not just a free man from the prison of sin. I began to follow the Lord of life who gave me life so I can enjoy the abundant life. I learned to continue. I learned to live in his word. Praise be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. That as you've written, Lord, in John 15, for a person to bear fruit, to walk around like he or she is really alive in you, with no gray clothing, no smell of death, is to divorce oneself from all of that by continuing in your word. Being in your word, Lord, gives us that flow of life. No wonder the devil will do everything he can to prevent us from going back to the source, to every word you've spoken that gives life. Lord, I thank you for showing us clearly that we don't have to be people of God bound by gray clothes, but your command is to loose the person and let him go. And I thank you that through this word, you've provided that opportunity, Lord, that for everyone who says, now I've got it, I've got it, I've got the secret, The secret to victory in Christ is to being a true disciple, continuing in your word, doing what you say, making the things of God the priority in my life, and then the abundant life, minus grave clothing, will manifest victory, sweet victory, deep peace, a genuine forgiveness, a thorough cleansing, no more condemnation, no more haunting from the past, Jesus has set me free. I'm free indeed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that everyone that has heard the word to this point, this Lord's day, would say, I'm not letting this go. This is what God has for me. I'm going for it. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.